You're listening to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, a podcast for psychotherapy group practice owners where you learn the business side of running a group practice. I'm your host, Maureen Werbach. This episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is a practice management and EHR software that helps behavioral health professionals manage their practice with confidence and efficiency. I've been using Therapy Notes in my own group practice for about five or six years now, and they're hands down amazing. They've got a scheduling and to-do list that is so easy to look at, a notes template that is amazing and exactly what you need, billing that has accurate reports that you can use, credit card processing system, a client portal that's constantly being updated, security, and tech support that is amazing. You can call and actually talk to someone right away. If you're looking for an EHR that can give you everything you need to run your group practice smoothly, try Therapy Notes out by going to www.therapynotes.com forward slash the group practice exchange and you'll get two free months to try them out. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Group Practice Exchange podcast. Um, This episode is a coaching episode and I am on the call with Becky. Oh my God, Becky, I already forgot how to say your last name. Guayardo? Yeah, you got it. Yes. (laughs) Gosh, you guys, her name has lots of letters that you don't sound out and so that's why it's really hard. So Becky Guayardo, um, we are going to be talking about Clockwork, which is Mike Michalowicz's book. Um, and she has some questions about implementing it and using it as a group practice owner. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Hey, how are you? Hi, I'm doing fine. Thanks. Good. All right. So why don't you start first by telling us a little bit about, um, where you are in the group practice journey, just so that people can get a sense of, you know, where you're at when we're talking about clockwork. Right. Okay. So I'm a psychologist and owner of the practice. I have three uh, folks that are just doing therapy um, and two that are graduate students that are um, psychometricians. They mm-hmm. assist me with the testing. I also have an intake coordinator that also does community marketing. So I think a total of about six of us combined. Nice. Um, yeah. So do you want me to jump right into the clockwork? Yeah. Work? Yeah. Tell, right. tell me where you're at in, in yeah. the clockwork. Um, journey and um, where you're having some of the challenges. Yeah. So I really like the concept of clockwork and to be able to step more out of the day-to-day and do more design work and less doing. I'm just kind of getting stuck. I have a few barriers that are getting me, um, making it a slower process for me to go from Currently, I'm doing about 84% of my time in the doing Uh um, and probably about 4% of the time designing um, or less. And I like um, I like that number to be I like to be doing less than 80% so that I can increase the amount of time that I'm designing and delegating and um, deciding. So I just want those percentage numbers to, to shift a bit more. Um, yes. So that's obviously the, anyone who's taking, who's taken um, the, you know, the 4D test um, and one has had issues with figuring out what things are categorized as doing, which things are categorized as deciding and delegating. Um, but once you get beyond that, um, most people have had the issue of 
realizing that they're doing too much doing and doing very little designing and doing more um, deciding over delegating. Where are you at in, in the other categories? I'm about 6% delegating, 4% design, 6% deciding. Okay. Um, and tell, tell me a little bit about um, kind of what are some of the tasks that are the major ones in the doing category um, mm-hmm. and what some of the tasks in um, the other three, the decide, delegate, and design categories. So I can okay. get a sense of, you know, where your time is being used most. Right. So I am in the doing, I am doing evaluations. I do testing. I do therapy with clients. And then the rest of that time is returning client emails, um, just doing my progress notes and you know, doing some of the preparation work of the financial part of the, the billing part. Now, I don't do the bookkeeping. I hand it over to somebody else, but there's still some of that that I'm doing before I hand it over to the bookkeeper. Um, so that's kind of doing. That's that's the bulk of what I'm what calculates up to doing. So are you saying that most of your time in the doing category is um, as a clinician? You know, I'm saying, yeah. I mean, I'm saying that the bulk, yeah, the majority of my doing time is being a clinician. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, would you say that, so here's um, some of where clockwork can sometimes not be completely um, ideal is for group practice owners who want to play a majority of their part being a clinician. You know, there's some clinician, some group practice owners that want to not see any clients and, and want to really be working on the business. Um, right. Others that want to have a group practice um, that's more self-sufficient so that they can do um, whatever their passion is, if that's seeing clients and, and doing client work. And so I, I guess I'm going to take a step back and, and ask you, where are you at in, in the journey, at least as of right now? Obviously, that can change with time and um, what we want now might not be what we want later. But mm-hmm. when it comes to seeing clients, is are you at a place where you're um, seeing that is, is it what you want? No, it's not what I want. I I really want the client work to be kind of flip-flopped. The least, you know, amount of time spent doing client work and more of the time spent in the okay. other categories. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Go ahead and go on and to decide, delegate, and design. What are some of the main kind of things you're doing in those? Yeah. So for delegating, I am meeting with my kind of administration folks that are handling some of the HR things, um, kind of putting things on their to-do list. Um, okay. So that would yep. be most of the delegating time. Okay. And then what about deciding? So for deciding that I'm using that category and tell me if I'm wrong to like the time that it takes me to decide who's going to do what and um, what the roles are going to be. And it, there's a, there's a very thin line of when deciding and delegating kind of become yes. <laughs> all I, in one. So um, I, I, I don't even know. Um, I do this thing on Fridays where I, you know, basically 
spend a lot of time getting all the to-dos categorized and deciding what's going to happen the next week, kind of like a planning period for the upcoming week. Okay. Um, but it doesn't go further than that. Typically it's just kind of like, what's, what's kind of the, the fire to put out this coming week kind of thing. Yeah. And then that, that's as far I can get because I'm doing too much in the business. Okay, perfect. And then in designing? Yeah, so the bulk of my design time has been um, planning for growth, expansion, deciding what office space we're going to be in next, um, planning some things for our, we have monthly business meetings as a staff. And so sometimes I want to be able to, you know, maybe review some quarterly goals and things and how we've achieved goal and the goals in the past quarter. Um, that's, that's kind of the bulk of the design. Perfect. Okay. So when looking at, um, Mike's optimal for D mix, um, where, what is your, what are you seeing your optimal, optimal for D mix as, because, um, you know, he obviously has his set at around 80% doing, um, a couple of percent in deciding, um, I don't know, I think a little bit over like 5% or so in the delegating area and then 10% in the design time. And, um, obviously he's got this based off of his, the research that he's done with a lot of businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you said, I think you were around the 80% doing right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay. So tell me what you're feeling your optimal 4d mix would be generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that answer may be different depending on if you were to put a timeline on it, because I feel like it, it because there are some competing other goals, I feel like, um, yeah. And when it's all said and done and I've got it just how I want it, I, I feel like it may take more than a year to get there. Sure. Um, you know, I want the doing to be, um, probably 20%. Um, yep. Yeah. That's, I, that's- I feel like, um, this is where, uh, there's some differences in terms of, um, what he writes about as being optimal for these four categories. Um, I'm much more in the, I, I do very little of the doing and have much more delegate and design stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what he has as his optimal 40 isn't necessarily what um, is my optimal 40. Okay. So when looking at, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, all of the categories that you mentioned and, and the, the biggest change obviously has to happen in the doing category because you're at 80. Right. And if you're wanting to get closer to 20, that's, um, that's going to be the biggest shift. Where are you wanting to add your time into more design and delegate more just in design? Mm-hmm. Um, I really, the, the category that I want to expand the most is the design category. Okay. Yeah. Um, so where are you having, where are you finding you're having the most amount of difficulty in terms of changing your 80% doing, um, to reducing that? Yeah. So you know, I, I think one answer to that is money. Like, um, currently I bring in about 91% of the revenue. Okay. I have my two psychometricians. I pay an hourly rate. It's not based off of, um, 
it's not a percentage split or anything. I just pay them an hourly rate and they are more there for efficiency purposes and helping me, um, you know, pump out in and out those testing clients. Um, And when it comes to those three therapists that are new, um, they are only bringing in about 9% of the total revenue. (laughs) Okay. So Um, tell me a little bit about them. Are they fully licensed? Are they um, fee for service or taking insurance? Are they part-time, full-time? Right. So one is fully licensed and two are not. Okay. We do not take insurance. So it's all um, private pay. And are they also only doing uh, testing or are they doing therapy as well? The three of those are only doing therapy. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So are, and do they have space to grow or are they where they want to be? No, there's room for all of them to grow. Okay. Um, and tell me a little bit about your strategy for, um, helping them grow is, have you been focusing on that or has that been something that's kind of on the wayside because you're seeing a lot of clients? Um, yeah, that would be one of the, the main things that I want to focus on is to be able to get a more fine tuned marketing, um, strategy for them. I do have someone that is community marketing and I wanted to, um, you know, we did digital marketing the last quarter of last year and I wasn't really pleased with, um, the return on investment. So I decided that, you know, I wanted to put a little bit more emphasis on the community marketing, um, in the beginning of this year to see where that takes me. And I am doing a lot of just delegating on that front and just saying, I want you to, you know, I'm, I'm having, you know, these, these meetings to kind of give some ideas and I'm giving my HR person time to meet with the marketing person, but that isn't returning on investment either. So, um, I don't, yeah. So it sounds like you need to do a little bit more design work maybe around your marketing, um, your community marketing. Cause I, I agree with you. Community engagement is by far the greatest, um, return on investment. Um, but it does, uh, take a little bit of time and some, a little bit of strategy and planning to, um, figure out what methods, uh, produce the, the best return on investment for us. Um, what we do is, uh, is our once a month, we do a free speaking engagement in the community, whether that's at local schools or at a local business, um, at a business in the, in the area. So we are very focused on staying local and providing services that are actually free, um, because it ends up yielding us a lot more clients. And it's almost like what you, you know, you pay for Google ads. Um, I pay a clinician to do a free speaking engagement in the community. So the clinician gets paid. Um, there's a cost to me, but the return on investment is much bigger. When a clinician does a talk, they get a couple handfuls of clients that call that week because they saw that person speak. And so it's giving them um, a boost in terms of getting new clients, but it also gets our business known in the community. But it is it does take a little bit of time and a lot of nurturing, um, right. which is where needing some extra time in the design area to figure out what's one to three strategies do you want to um, work on to increase your referrals? Because you can obviously do 100 things. You can send some flyers out, call a few places, walk into a few places, um, go to some schools, talk to some businesses, but then you're 
dipping your hands in a lot of areas and you're not going to be able to see as well what is actually working for you. And so, um, you know, having one to three at the most strategies for in-person or community engagement or marketing um, will one, help you stay focused, but two, yield you the best results because you'll see this thing that I did worked really well or this thing that I did did not. Um, but it obviously needs uh, needs for you to have time in that designing area to be able to, to think about how you want to implement those strategies. Um, one of the things that I suggest a lot when it comes to the um, spending too much time being a clinician category is, um, is, is what I did as I reduced my caseload. And I talked about this a little bit in the, um, in the, uh, smaller Facebook group, the exchange was, um, is when I, cause I know finances is what you brought up. Right. Uh, and, um, one of the things that worked really well for me was for every, so I, I pay commission-based, um, for my clinicians. And if you pay a flat dollar amount, you can totally f- kind of figure this out. Um, but a good average was um, for every two new clients that a clinician got was sort of, give or take, the equivalent for me having one client, right, in terms of income. And so when I was at like 20 clients and I wanted to get down to 15, I said, you know, for the next um, 10 clients that got scheduled with another clinician that would allow for me to reduce my caseload by five and still bring the same amount of income in for myself that I needed, you know, and then I would kind of baseline for a little bit and let the clinicians grow a little bit more. And then I would take the next goal of reducing by another five. And so what I did was, you know, for every um, two new clients that a clinician that I was referred to a clinician that got scheduled, I would be able to reduce my caseload by one client. And now you're doing testing. So the, the average might be a little bit different and it might be that you have to figure out, you know, what is one testing client for you, um, look like in terms of, uh, revenue that they bring in, how many weekly, since your therapists are doing, you know, sessions and not doing, um, testing, um, how many clients, weekly clients, um, does one of my testing clients is the equivalent in terms of, um, the income that I need to make. And once you figure that out, um, it's really a matter of um, following through on reducing your caseload by that one testing client as they fill, let's say, two or three of their regular clients. And doing that, um, I, like I said, I like to do it by um, fives so that once I reduce by five, um, I, I kind of take a break and, and hold at that place and still allow my clinicians to grow because... Um, as you're reducing your caseload and they're increasing theirs, you're really staying exactly where you're at financially. You're not growing. And so I like to take that break every five clients so that the new clients that then come in for those clinicians between that time is actually growth um, for, for the practice in terms of revenue. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I find that one of the hardest things for group owners uh, – to do is to actually reduce their caseload because they have one, a fear that their clinicians might not keep clients very long. What happens if, um, you know, I can't get more clients with them scheduled. And so having a, an actual system, a method that's very like specific, um, is one way to kind of ease any of those fears. And so for, for me and how, what I suggest to people, it just works very easily is to, to come up with an actual number of um, clients that 
if you, if they get scheduled, um, you can reduce by, you know, one or two clients at a time. Mm -hmm. Yes. I like that. And I did come up with some of those benchmarks to determine, um, in January, I was working about 60 hours a week. And since then I have reduced my work hours to about 45 or 50. So a lot of that time that would have gone back into designing, I gave back to my family because they yes. were, I have two yeah. little ones at home. Yeah. So I feel like I'm on the brink, like as I'm getting closer to 40 hours, I'm on the brink of, of getting some of the design time back because I am looking for those benchmarks to replace client hours with, you know, either in the past it was family, but now it'll be more design time. Exactly. Well, that makes sense. So you, you feel like you have a system in place in terms of being able to reduce your caseload? It's happening slower than I'd like it, but yeah, because the marketing plan's not there, I think, but yeah, it is I, the plan. I do see it moving in the right direction for sure. Um, meaning that I'm reducing my caseload as each week goes on. Yeah. yeah. So I think what might, might work is trying to implement what I brought up um, so that even if you are able to reduce your caseload by, let's say, two client hours. I know that's not a big deal, and that doesn't even bring your percentage down from like 80, probably down to 79%, not much. But if you can reduce your caseload by two clients that you have to see every week that mm -hmm. other clinicians are now seeing, let's say, maybe four new clients to bring to keep the revenue exactly where it's at, what the the other part of the issue that I see is that when clinicians, when group practice owners are reducing their caseload, they're filling it with like filler stuff, and so they don't they don't feel like they actually have more time to do design work. And so, be really intentional and say like, you know, Sarah and Susie, these two people that I am now not, you know, they they're graduating. I don't need to see them anymore. These are the two clients that I no longer um, I'm not replacing with two more clients. I'm literally going to use those two hours and. What I would do is um, scheduled it into my therapy note schedule as clients, but blocked it off as like uh, design work. And then I would label what it would be that I actually am going to do. So you might want to just to, you know, because we are really good at keeping to our therapy schedules, but as right. business owners tend to not be as good as keeping to our um, business growth schedules because we're like, oh, we need to put out fires first versus do design work. And so, you know, being very intentional by, scheduling into your therapy notes or whatever EHR you use, schedule, um, marketing, planning, and then using that time and that's design work is, is planning your marketing strategy for the rest of 2019. And really, if you think about it, two hours, if you do two hours every week, um, two hours is a lot of time to be thinking and not doing anything, but just thinking about marketing, thinking about what's worked, what hasn't worked, thinking about something that you haven't yet tried that you might want to try. Um, thinking in terms of naming a bunch of places that you want to go to or you want to talk to your staff about going to. Um, and at the end of the day, if you think about one month's worth of two hours every week that you have now strictly dedicated to design work behind marketing to increase uh, revenue um, and you know, clients being coming in, that's eight, that eight hours is a, is a really good chunk of time to have made a, a dent in your marketing strategies. Right. Yeah, I would agree to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest issue is that um, we end up, like I said, filling our time with this this filler stuff and not actually, uh, you know, moving the needle forward in any sort of way. Mm -hmm. And so uh, implementing it into your schedule is one of the ways I found that it works really well because I look at my schedule. I always follow my schedule. And so now I use it for um, some of the design and delegating work as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's good. I think in the past when I've put design on my calendar, um, administrative client things got in the way, but I, I need to, I think, really hold tr hold true to keeping that design um, period intact. And if my caseload is going to continue to decrease, then that shouldn't be that difficult. Right. Exactly. Any other questions relating to clockwork? Um, I guess, you know, have you have, do you have any tips for making the delegate and designing categories just more efficient and streamlined? Yeah. So my, my biggest issue was realizing that a lot of my delegating wasn't true delegating. It was a lot more deciding. Um, a little, I, you know, got a little snapshot of, um, of what, you put into your delegating um, and what you mentioned in deciding sounds a lot like deciding. I would probably like to dig deeper into the delegating and seeing um, what, because you wrote uh, or I wrote down because I was taking notes as I'm uh, talking to you is meeting with admin and putting things on their to-do list. And that on the surface could actually still be deciding stuff. Um, and I'm not sure. Um, so the, the difference when, when looking into you know, admin, um, meeting with them is the difference between deciding and delegating in this category would be, um, deciding would be meeting with them every month, giving them to stuff on their to-do list and then them going and doing that to-do list and then coming back to you and saying like, I've done, you know, A, B and C, what else do you need me to do? That would be deciding. Um, delegating is truly where you're saying admin, your role from now on and forever is that I want you, let's, I'm going to make positions up. I'm going to use some of my admin positions. I have, um, a, a person who just does benefits, benefit checks, right? Um, I delegated doing benefits checks to her. I now, now that she knows how to do them, you know, there's obviously a training period where it's going to be a little bit more deciding, but now that she knows how to do benefit checks, she knows every morning she goes, she works from home. So she goes on to our little spreadsheet, um, where my receptionist will put any new clients that we schedule that need a benefit check into that uh, calendar or that uh, spreadsheet. She logs in, checks those benefits, emails the clients, lets them know, puts it into our therapy notes um, under the patient tab so that the clinician knows the benefits, and she moves on. I literally never have to speak to her. That's true. I mean, that's yeah. That category, that's true delegating. Um, I also have uh, an intake coordinator. She does answering all the phones. Um, and her, her de this delegation uh, makes maybe a little bit more sense for um, other practice owners is um, she knows her tasks. She knows to answer the phones. She It's more of a management position um, in that once a month, her and I meet and she goes over with me. I've delegated scheduling all the appointments. I'm not a part of the, I don't have to go back to her and say, how many appointments did you schedule today? Um, anything like that. But we meet once a month and she goes over kind of the stats. She says, I, I scheduled, you know, a hundred new appointments, about 50 appointments. I wasn't able to schedule. These are kind of the reasons. So delegating really is where you're handing off a task, but also the outcome of that task. So she's it totally in charge of, I've not just delegated the actual tasks to her, but also the outcomes of making the intake process better, of making sure um, if she's seeing that clients aren't, you know, that um, I have a goal of, I want at least 60% of all calls to be able to be scheduled. Um, you know, and we, her and I meet once a month and she is in charge of talking to me about 
the progress on those goals. So she'll, she'll say, you know, we had a 60% schedule rate or actually the past two months we've had around 80% because we've hired a bunch of new people. Um, but there are months where everyone's full and she'll say, you know, we had 40% schedule rate, but it's because I had to refer a lot of people out because we had no appointment slots open. Um, and, and that tells me a story that we either are really good to go and, and, everyone's full. Or if I'm ready to grow, it tells me it's time for you to grow, Maureen. Um, everyone is really full. This is telling me a telling me a story. And so in the sense of looking at um, my admin, uh, my intake coordinator, you can see the del- that, that it's not deciding. She does not have to come back to me and say, is there anything else you want me to do? Um, is there, I, I have a little bit of free time. She knows um, how to keep herself occupied, but also how to make that position, you know, better. And so I would uh, ask you to look at with your admin, meeting with admin and putting things on their to-do list. That's what you had listed as you're delegating. Is there a way to make it more delegating where you're not actually having to put more things on their to-do list, but that they're actually controlling that position? Um, Right. I look at like my supervisors, right? That's delegated, right? They provide supervision, but they are in charge of everything. I don't have to tell them like, go talk to this clinician. They have low retention. Now go talk to this clinician about the fact that their notes are behind. They are completely in charge of it. I've truly delegated it. They come to me and they tell me where their progress is. They own where they haven't um, done all the work. They own where they need to um, do better. They own the areas where they've done great. Um, and, and they come to me and say, here's the progress that we've made. Here's my decisions for next steps. And I'm, I say, great job, or yep, this aligns with what I, what I'm looking for in the business, but I'm not, um, making decisions for them because that would make me the decider. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So is that something that you have to, um, work on in terms of your delegating? Are you feeling like it is actually more deciding or does it feel like it's true delegating what you're doing? No, I, I'm doing more deciding than delegating. Yeah. Um, and it might just, usually what what that means then is that you have to redefine the positions of the people that are, that you're doing the deciding work with. And we're obviously always going to need a little bit of deciding. And if, you know, in reading his book, he doesn't say do no deciding, but he has like 2% deciding, really minimal amounts of deciding work that truly you want to get to that delegating place. Um, which, which just typically means that if you're doing more deciding than delegating is that you have to redefine the job descriptions of those positions that you're doing the deciding work in so that they are able to take accountability, um, for an ownership of that position and the tasks and the outcomes of those tasks without you having to be like a part of it every step of the way. Right. And that, um, that may, that'll make a big dent in terms of the time that you're spending, um, because deciding work takes a lot of time. If you, if they have to come back to you and say, or you have to like check up on them and make sure that they're doing their work or that like you have to give them more tasks on their to-do list, then it's extra work on your end that you have to, and and brain space for you to think about, oh, I need to go tell blah, 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 that uh, they need to do this thing now versus it being something that's um, a part of their job description that's more comprehensive, you know? Right, right. Um. So that would be my that would be my feedback in terms of the delegating and and obviously in terms of the doing it's really for me the kind of being uh, step by step for me it, what's worked best was kind of figuring out financially what the cost of one of my clients is for um, for clinicians and like I said for me it was kind of two to one um, it was close enough and so I was very um, 
was very methodical about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of the, des- the, the design work, um, because that's what you want to expand the most, is really um, taking every percent that you're doing in the doing category that you are letting go of and, and plopping that into the design work. Um, cause it sounds like you're doing enough. Uh, if you, if you move some of that deciding over into delegating, um, the amount of time that you're spending in both of those, um, mm-hmm. is, is enough. I think you just need to push some of the deciding over into delegating, but you can really take all of your doing time that you're able to, to let go of and plop that ex- directly into the design work. Um, right. but again, the hardest part of it is, um, actually implementing that. And so, like I said, you have to figure out what your strategy is. Mine has always been, I look at my cal- therapy notes calendar and I do what it says on there. And so if I make my design work like clients and schedule that time in, I will do it. If I don't schedule it in the schedule, I'll tend to, um, fill it with little other doing things like checking in with my admin, talking to my clinical director about things that like technically I don't need to talk to her about them. I'm just like, filling my time because I think it's important for me to talk to them right now. Even though we have a regular schedule of meeting every single month to go over things, um, I tend to fill my time with non-design work because I feel like I need to do stuff like go and check on people, go walk around and see if everyone needs anything, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, Any last questions? No, I think you covered it all. Awesome. Um, I know we didn't get into the queen bee role, which is also part of clockwork, right. but um, I figure it, that might be a, a second <laughs> podcast episode. Yeah. Queen, the queen bee role as a whole can take up a whole episode in and of itself. Um, but right. I know that's a part of the clockwork um, process, but maybe reach out to me in email as you're um, getting your um, 4d mix a little bit better. Cause it maybe would be a nice um, catch up episode to see how you, you know, were able to actually implement those things and, and reduce your doing. And then we can talk about the queen bee role and see um, if you've, if you've found your QBR, if uh, you're running your business in a way that's supporting the QBR. Um, but yeah, we can follow through with that maybe in another episode. Okay. That sounds great. Awesome. Well, it was good talking to you. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks for your time. Yeah. Happy Monday. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Group Practice Exchange podcast. We'll see you next time.